I was born in India. Uh, when I was four years old, my uh, parents moved to Canada and then a few years later to the United States. At the time, I was young and I didn't really understand the immigration process. I didn't understand that even though we've like moved here on this visa, that that visa might not lead us to citizenship. I just assumed we were moving to America and we were going to be Americans. You're listening to the World Wise Podcast, and I'm your host, Rajika Bhandari. Welcome back to another conversation about the intersections of education, culture, and migration. My guest today is Deep Patel, the founder of an organization called Improve the Dream, which advocates for a group of young people known as documented dreamers. Do you know who documented dreamers are? I admit that I did not know much about this particular group of students until a couple of years ago. And as Deep describes in today's conversation, their situation often flies under the radar and is often overshadowed by larger immigration debates in the US. But I won't share too much more as I really want you to listen to this powerful conversation with Deep where we disentangle why almost a quarter million young people who call America home face an uncertain future that hangs in the balance. Hi, Deep. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Rajika. It's so great to uh, be on here with you. Wonderful. So, you know, we'll, we'll, of course, get much more into sort of your story and journey. But just to set the context, since we are going to be using this term documented dreamers quite often during our conversation, I thought we could just set the stage for our listeners by um, having you explain who are documented dreamers and tell us about why you founded your organization, which is called Improve the Dream. So as uh, many people know, uh, dreamers is a term that's used to uh, reflect individuals who have grown up in this country at a young age, but mm-hmm. unfortunately do not have a clear path to citizenship because of our broken immigration system. For a long time, what a lot of people haven't been aware of is that that exact predicament is also possible for certain individuals who were brought here as children of visa holders. Mm-hmm. and despite being documented, they also don't have a clear path to citizenship. And that's where the term documented dreamer comes in to show that um, it's possible even to be documented and still not have a path to citizenship after growing up in this country. And I think that just shows how broken our immigration system is. That's right. And I think that this is um, such a significant but almost invisible population, invisible in the sense that I think you began to touch on that, that, you know, people are really not talking about these issues for this very specific subset of young people who find themselves really in limbo in a very difficult situation. And so, which is why I'm so delighted to have you on the show today so that we can really begin to surface uh, some of these important, uh, important issues. So I'm curious, 
what has been your personal journey and whatever you would like to share with us and sort of your own personal story as a documented dreamer? So uh, I was born in India. Uh, when I was four years old, my uh, parents moved to Canada. And then a few years later, after becoming Canadian citizens, they moved to the United States. Um, at the time, I didn't really recognize that we were, uh, I was young and I didn't really understand the immigration process. I didn't understand that even though we've like moved here on this visa, that that visa might not lead us to citizenship. I just assumed we were moving to America and we were going to be Americans. Um, so we moved to a, a rural um, town in Southern Illinois where they had a small business. And, you know, it took some getting used to moving from uh, a different country to the United States, but very soon after it became home. That's that's what I knew. Um, you know, I was acclimated into um, American culture, made friends there. And even though I was like the only uh, immigrant child in that area, I, I still became like I felt like I was American. Uh, and I didn't really recognize that there were uh, going to be obstacles in the future that would come and, you know, be in the way of um, of uh, growing up and kind of come in the way of what my dreams necessarily would be. So the, the first obstacle that I would face would be uh, when I had to get a driver's license. Um, and I recognized, um, you know, I didn't recognize that that would be an issue, but um, I was asked for a social security number. And with the visa status that I had on a dependent visa, so my parents had been here on an E2 visa, which allows immigrants to come here and start a small business. But unfortunately, the E2 visa does not have a path to citizenship, so they can keep renewing that visa uh, for really as long as they want. There's people here for decades. But unfortunately, children like me on that dependent E2 visa um, would not be eligible for work authorization or social security numbers. So at that time, I just said, well, I don't have a social security number, but I didn't really understand what that had to do with getting a driver's license. And that was kind of the first obstacle I faced because I had to be removed from my driver's ed course um, in high school. And it, it might not seem like a big deal, but for me, it felt like a, uh, you know, a, a big deal because not only was I removed from the driver's ed course, I wasn't sure if I was going to qualify for a driver's license. And um, that was kind of the first time I thought, okay, like this visa situation is going to cause other problems. It's not, you know, I kind of had kind of overlooked it, but it is going to cause problems. And thankfully, the driver's ed issue was sorted out the next semester, uh, because fortunately, we lived in Illinois, which had a program which allowed um, uh, individuals on temp uh, temporary long-term visas to obtain driver license driver's licenses. But um, but I, I still recognized that there were going to be a lot of issues. And um, the next big issue I faced was when deciding what to do, um, you know, where to go to college and what profession to choose. All of those decisions had to take into account my immigration status and uh, whether after graduating I would be able to remain in the country. Um, you know, the only country that I really I grew up in and I had uh, called home at that point. So uh, th this was an issue at the time that I didn't recognize. There were tens of thousands of other individuals that were facing like me. 
like so many others in my situation, I felt that I was one of the few that really was caught up in the situation. And um, I remember in high school, I was there was a teacher who uh, someone had mentioned that uh, there was this bill in Congress that would help fix situations for people like me. It was called the Dream Act, and it was an Illinois senator fighting for it. So I got really excited, and I I, I started following that right around that time. It was 2010, and I I was really really sad when it failed to pass. Uh, you know, in 2010, I think it failed to get cloture by four or five votes, but in the Senate, um, and I was really sad. But then a few months later, I realized that I wouldn't have actually even qualified for that because I was not undocumented. Um, and a similar thing happened a couple of years later when the DACA program came out. When I saw President Obama's announcement uh, for DACA, which was the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, and he outlined on TV like the principles that individuals would have to meet to get protection, to be able to stay here, to be able to get work authorization. And I thought, wow, I qualify for this from everything I saw the president say, everything I saw uh, individuals on TV talking about, and really like anything I could find online about it. Um, and when the applications for that came out, there was a box that had you check whether you were undocumented when it was announced. And that made me also recognize that no one really knows about this situation, or if they do, they just don't care about it enough. Uh, and it was really frustrating at the time because, you know, for, for someone who was really looking forward to finally having work authorization, maybe some of the worries going away about whether one would be able to stay after graduating, um, you know, it, it was it was heartbreaking. And um I was upset, but I didn't really know what to do. I, I think at the time I may have like written uh, so, some emails or put something, but I, you know, I, I didn't really think uh, too much of it. And you know, I, I was in my senior year in high school, going into college. So I uh, I was going to St. Louis College of Pharmacy uh, for pharmacy school, and even choosing pharmacy in part was um, kind of decided because. I like the sciences, I like the medical field, but this was a path where I saw that because of my Canadian citizenship, I would be able to obtain a visa that would allow me to stay a little bit more easily after I graduated. Um, so, and it was, it was then during pharmacy school that, um, you know, I was frustrated that no one on the national level was really talking about this issue. No one was really talking about us. And um, I started trying to reach out to different organizations, was not able to get help. So then I thought, like, you know, I might just have to try reaching out to members of Congress myself, reaching out to others and start building a coalition to fight for this. Um, and slowly, that's how Improve the Dream started um, about five years ago when I was in pharmacy school. Thank you for sharing um, your long and difficult journey. And there's so much I want to um, want to unpack there and that we'll get into. But just sort of on that last note that you ended on. So what is Improve the Dream doing now? Uh, how many people is it? What are you all actively engaged in? And then the other thing I'd love to um, hear from you about is 
what are some other stories that you can share like wh- who are these individuals and and can you share some sort of quick snippets of sort of um, you know young people who are in the same situation that could sort of bring to life this issue and I, of course we heard about your story but what are what are some other situations uh, out there so there are over 250,000 um individuals in the situations to over 200,000 documented dreamers and mm-hmm. um improve the dream uh you know when when I started advocating I never thought of actually starting like an organization uh, or this big of a, a a group uh but it just sort of happened you know it, it I think it's natural when people realize that this is something a similar situation they've been through it'll it'll um create what's now uh, improved the dream but we're a group of um thousands of young people who are affected by this as well as families um of those individuals parents of those individuals who are fighting to make sure that while they are in this broken caught up in this broken immigration system children who have grown up here um where their families aren't torn apart from those families and just to explain a little bit more you know there's a couple reasons why the situation happens like what why is it possible for an immigrant child to be brought here legally be raised and educated here but then still be forced to leave right it's because uh, there's two main reasons this happens the first is uh the most common is um that most immigrants come here on uh, h1b visas to work here and eventually they'll be sponsored for a green card by their employer um now there's this nuanced rule where only 7% um there's a country cap a 7% country cap um so if mm-hmm. your country of birth is india you have the, you have the same ca- percentage cap as like a smaller country so what happens for these immigrants like our uh, many of these parents is that they've been here on an h1b and then they get sponsored for a green card but then they have to wait decades for their turn yes. to come um and unfortunately it it predominantly affects populous countries uh, primarily india where the de- uh, there you know it's estimated that someone new immigrating here could have to wait over 100 years just exactly. to get their green card yeah and what that means is when when those individuals when the, when the children of those immigrants turn 21 they age out of the system they can no longer be in line with their parents even though they've already applied for a green card since they were a child and since they were brought here so once they age out of the system they have to either leave the country or find their own way to stay and that leads to a situation where essentially individuals are just scrambling to find visas to remain here on temporarily because our broken system just doesn't have pathways to stay um so that's one way and then the other way is how my parents came where there's certain visas that allow immigrants to be here for decades legally and still not be able to get citizenship so even in those situations individuals will turn 21 and then they'll have to leave and now just to give you a few examples uh, a couple of years ago there was a story of a dairy farmer um near uh, Minnesota and South Dakota where um th- his child was turning 21 he'd been here since he was 2 years old and that story you know it, it had blown up it, it had gone viral and um i think a lot of people were confused like how is this possible and that that was the first time um uh that 
I think the, this really kind of had blown up, at least in a, on a regional level. And unfortunately, there was still nothing that could be done. And that child, that individual had to end up self-deporting back to somewhere in Europe. Um, and it, it, it's something that just didn't make sense. He had to end up leaving. He tried to come back actually on a student visa, but for some reason he was denied. It had to do with non-immigrant intent, which is another issue individuals face. So uh, a lot of um, listeners might not be aware that to be on some sort of a visa, for most visas in the United States, you have to show initial non-immigrant intent. So even for individuals who have been here all their lives, when they're applying for the student visa, they have to show that they somehow have ties to their home country. And I believe he was unable to do that and he was unable to get a student visa. And his only issue was he had been raised and educated in the United States. So, you know, it, it's something that just didn't make sense. Um, last year during the pandemic, um, there were, uh, there was a sister, uh, two sisters in Florida um, who were about a, a couple years apart, but one was about to turn 21. The other had uh, just finished a nursing program and was ready to be a nurse and join the force, you know, the under, um, um, there's, there's a huge nursing shortage. So she was ready to uh, join that workforce. The hospitals wanted to keep her. The hospitals were trying to figure out a way, but unfortunately they just couldn't. The, there just wasn't a way they could do it. So the, that sister had to end up self-deporting. The other sister after graduating had to end up self-deporting. And their parents who had a small business in a, in a community in Florida had to end up closing and leaving, going to Europe because they wanted to be with their family. They wanted to be with their daughters. So not only did those uh, daughters not get to contribute to the country, the only country they've really known, the parents ended up leaving with them. And, you know, th that caused huge emotional turmoil, but also a huge economic loss to America. And that really just proves that none of this really makes sense. Um, another story of someone in Iowa who, whose family has a small business in Iowa, and he um, had been there for almost 20 years. Um, he graduated with a computer science uh, degree and was doing amazing work with an Iowan company uh, named Integrated DNA Technologies. Uh, they were doing phenomenal work, and um, they didn't want to lose him. Uh, unfortunately, because of our system, even though he's been here forever, they, there's no mechanism that allows you know us a priority or some sort of way to stay so they just couldn't he didn't win the h1b lottery which is a lottery that only affect uh, you know accepts about 30 percent of individuals so then he was getting ready to leave the company didn't want to leave him and now he actually still works for that company but remotely from europe so in this situation, you know, that individual lost because he's away from his family now. His family's away from him. But America also lost and Iowa lost because now they won't be getting his benefits. They won't be getting his taxes. He's still working for that company from overseas. Uh, and I think that situation also just demonstrates how crazy it is that this common sense issue hasn't been able to find a permanent solution yet. Um, but I think it's stories like these um, that have been able to get the attention for this issue that it deserves. 
Yes, it just does not make any sense at all, as you have so rightly pointed out. And to your good point that that even if one looks at, if we put aside sort of the deep emotional turmoil and almost humanitarian aspect of it, if we even just look at it from uh, sort of a, a narrow perspective of, of a country and, um, you know, it's, uh, its wealth of human resources and talent, like you've pointed out, it is a real loss because these individuals have been raised here and educated here and really have the potential. I mean, people like you, and uh, but Others who were forced to return really have the potential to contribute to this country and to the economy. So it really just um, does Absolutely. not make sense. Yeah. What I like to say a lot is, and this is through personal experience, because my, my when growing up, my friends would always ask me, how is it that I can't apply for citizenship? Most people have this uh, feeling that you can just apply for citizenship and then be in this line. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. But I think that demonstrates that most Americans assume that if an immigrant child is brought here legally, has been here for years and completes a college degree here, they should be able to stay and have a path to citizenship, right? That's that's what we're fighting for. And I think most Americans already assume that's a reality. So it just demonstrates how simple of a solution it really should be. Um, and another point I just wanted to say, like from our community of Improve the Dream with, you know, that over thousands, over, over a thousand uh, responds in a survey we took, we found that the average age that we were brought here was at the age of five. Most people have been here for between 12 to 15 years, uh, many longer than that. Um, and 87% of us are either pursuing or have completed a STEM degree. Mm. So just to, it just underscores just how important and how bad it is really for America to be raising and educating children, building resources for the country, and then just kicking them away. Wow. Yeah, I had not realized that. I mean, absolutely. That is, that is a, that is a huge loss, and especially when compiled along with all the other people who cannot get H-1B visas or green cards, etc., many of whom are also in the STEM fields, and you sort of put all that together, and it's a real combined uh, loss. Although, of course, it's, uh, you know, um, in, in this case, we're talking about people who've been raised in the U.S. Now, um, you know, one thing I want to go back to that you sort of referenced a little bit earlier in your um in your comments, um, which is sort of the fact that people often don't um, understand what the subset or the subpopulation of almost of dreamers is. But what I want to ask you is that, um, you know, I've I've read in some places that, you know, all that, that the struggles of, of sort of what we're talking about right now of documented dreamers are sometimes almost pitted against those of undocumented dreamers, because of course there's the, you know, there's such a large focus on, um, young people who are undocumented. What, what are your thoughts on this? So, um, First, I, I would want to recognize that while there are lots of similarities, there's also certain differences, which I'd recognize that documented dreamers, for the most part, have had a greater privilege to an extent than undocumented dreamers. 
by the you know by just by the virtue of having had a visa status, which usually represents that um, you know it's not always the same, but for for the most part, uh, the parents may have been. Uh, had the resources to be able to immigrate immigrate here, potentially had resources to start a business. And, you know, but just by the virtue of that situation, we had uh, some sort of a greater privilege. So I don't think our experiences can be exactly the same. And there's no reason those experiences need to be or really can be pitted against because, you know, each individual experience is different and needs to be um, addressed. Um, so... I would say as far as from my personal perspective and even improve the dream, our, the hope is never to pit um, any immigrants against one another or a dreamer against another dreamer. Um, but I, I think uh, oftentimes those t t types of things um, um, happen when individuals try to look at um, an issue as like an all or nothing, like either this needs to be fixed or something else needs to be fixed. But I think when we look at this, this issue as it's individuals who have been raised here, whether undocumented or documented, and they deserve protection and being able to stay. Um, one of the visions of Improve the Dream is that every child who grows up in the country should have a path to citizenship. And to be able to do that, there's multiple things that need to happen, right? There needs to be a solution for all dreamers, but it won't always be the same solution. Uh, we need to ensure that uh, you know all current DACA recipients and all current dreamers uh, get the path to citizenship. But even after that happens, we need to also make sure that in the future, if we do have an immigration system that uh, finally allows people to properly immigrate here, so that there's reduced undocumented immigration, there are still gonna be documented dreamers. There's still gonna be children of long-term visa holders who grew up here and then be caught up in the system. So that's why we'll also need a solution which leads to protections for uh, aging out, age out protection, so that children who are raised and educated here um, on visas will have a permanent way to stay. So. I personally have not uh, seen it as pitting um, documented or undocumented. Um, in fact, I think it kind of just demonstrates the need to have a more comprehensive reform mm -hmm. eventually. But I think to get to comprehensive reform, we're going to need to fix smaller areas in our system, which will uh, greatly demonstrate how broken the system is. And I don't think there is anything that demonstrates it better than the fact that even children who are brought here with a legal status are having to leave. I think that shows just how broken it is. And hopefully it can get more of the American public to recognize that we need to fix this, but then, a, you know, a whole array of issues. Absolutely. So that sort of leads me into asking you about something called um, the America's Children Act. So what is that about? Tell us a little bit about it and what is its current status? What What's going on around that? Yes. So America's Children Act was uh, what essentially I started advocating for a, a, a few years back, uh, actually about four or five years ago, 
um, which was this vision where if someone of a, a child of a visa holder is brought here, they've grown up here and they complete college education here, they should be able to just apply for a green card. You know, I had heard over and over again from different people and my friends, like that's what they just assumed was reality. So why not make it a reality? And that was a bill that was finally introduced after years of advocating for it um, last year in the House by Representatives Deborah Ross and uh, Representative Miller Meeks. Um, and then in the Senate by Senators Alex Padilla, Senators Rand Paul. Those were the leads. There's a uh, uh, a lot of other senators and a lot of other members of Congress who also were co-sponsors. Uh, but essentially what it does is it ensures that a child of a visa holder who's brought here um, as a dependent of the visa holder has been here for at least 10 years and graduates with an American uh, university degree can apply for a green card. And I think, you know, most people listening to this would like I said earlier, assume that either exists or think that should be a reality. And that's the main principle there. And then there's also uh, some other age out protections in the bill, which would essentially make sure that in the future, um, children of visa holders, their ages are frozen, their applications are frozen when they actually apply rather than what their age is when the government is about to give those green cards. So what's happening right now is that when uh, individuals apply for green cards, let's say they were a baby, you know, the parents applied for it when they were six months or one year old. And I'm not just making that up. Th that is a reality. There's m multiple people that came here when they were literally a baby, four months old, six months old. Um, and uh, unfortunately, right now what happens is because of the decades long backlog, the parents don't receive the green card until after the child turns 21, which at that point that that individual can no longer get the green card because they're not they're not under 21. So it would just change it to where as long as you're under that age when you actually apply, um, you receive it. And I think that small issue in the system just wasn't even thought of when the original laws were written because mm -hmm. I don't think the the members writing the laws back then foresaw you know, backlogs or a broken system this bad. Um, so those are the main principles in the America's Children Act. And thankfully, it's been able to get really broad bipartisan support, um, Republicans, Democrats, independents. Um, and um, I really think if it had a chance to get a vote on the floor, um, it, it would definitely pass. Um, Fortunately, we were able to get a small part of America's Children Act included in the House uh, NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act, which is a must-pass bill, which is uh, passed by Congress every year. Um, and oftentimes what happens is issues that are seen as bipartisan or common sense sometimes get added onto bigger bills like that. So a part of America's Children Act, um, which would freeze individuals' ages and allow individuals to at least stay in the country, you know, they're not going to have the full path to citizenship that America's Children Act would create, but this would just allow them to remain in the country. That that uh, provision was um, added to the um, National Defense Authorization Act in the House, and it passed with a good bipartisan support, and it's now being considered 
um, in the Senate. So our hope is that over the uh, end of the, you know, the rest of this year, uh, the Senate does decide to keep that provision. And it would be, uh, you know, a, a big change. It wouldn't change everything in our broken immigration system, but it would stop the bleeding of one of the most predominant issues, which is the green card backlog. And this issue of just enormous resources, as you stated, being kicked out of the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I want to go back to um, higher education and college, because you mentioned that a couple of times. And obviously, given sort of the the timeline of this and the time span of this for most documented dreamers, as you've sort of laid out for us, many of them are arrived. The average age is about five, as you said, based on your organization's data, but some are arriving as young as be as, as infants and babies. And then of course they age out when they reach 21 and, um, most have completed some form of, um, you know, uh, some form of college or been through the post-secondary education system in the U.S. So what are some specific challenges when it comes to higher education? And I know you sort of connected some of the dots for us, like around nursing, etc. But what are some other key challenges when it comes to just going to college in, in America for documented dreamers? So um, some specific challenges, and really the number one is the fact that because this population hasn't had the awareness or the recognition that this is even like a subset of a group that should be looked at, when an individual enters college, for the most part, they're going to be treated as an international student, which is, they're, you know, they're going to be seen as someone who is for the first time immigrating to America, which just isn't the case. Um, so that means that oftentimes they'll have to fit, uh, pay out-of-state tuition or international tuition. Um, they won't qualify for most scholarships that are given to domestic students. And on that note, even changes that have been made for DREAMers or DACA recipients do not apply for this population. Um, so, for example, many states have passed in-state tuition laws or scholarship laws that allow uh, undocumented individuals who grew up in the state to access those in-state tuition or scholarships or fellowships. But um, documented dreamers would not be able to access those because they didn't qualify for DACA just for not being undocumented. And I think that is something that is unjust and wasn't properly thought through. Um, We have been advocating for a lot of those changes, including in California, there's the California Dream Act, which is the AB 540. Um, we're hoping that gets fixed to ensure that documented dreamers can also qualify. Uh, most recently, actually, uh, there was a proposition in Arizona that was just passed for uh, dreamers in Arizona are now eligible to get in-state tuition. Um, unfortunately, um, while it seemed like that proposition would have helped from what uh, the, you know, the, 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 uh, I think when on the uh, on the proposition where people voted, it said immigrants, regardless of immigration status, would be eligible for in-state tuition if they meet certain criteria. But unfortunately, the finer details of the text of that proposition is that you have to be undocumented. Anyone mm-hmm. who's documented doesn't qualify, mm-hmm. which to me just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, there's no reason those policies cannot 
help everyone. So that's actually one of the key things I would say, because I, I think as immigrants, we're very grateful that most of America and most educational institutions are finally recognizing um, that there there is additional attention needed for certain communities of immigrants. Um, and while they're recognizing that, if they would, if they just also recognize that this, there's also this population of documented immigrants who've grown up here, I think those solutions will come. Um, but to go on, the, I think those are some of the major issues. Um, and then when an individual turns 21, it's around that time when they're entering college that most people are un understanding um, that this aging out situation and how to navigate it. Uh, one other issue is during that time, they're trying to navigate that system, uh, but colleges might not necessarily have the proper resources or not, not, not know uh, enough about the situation to actually help the individuals navigate mm -hmm. that. Uh, so yeah. that that's another uh, area that I think uh, colleges could be more educated on, um, that change of status portion as it pertains to individuals who grew up here. Um, um, and then at 21, most people will either have to travel back to India or uh, or from here, they'll apply for that change of status. And then um, once they're on that visa, that's the first time they can actually eventually get even on campus employment because they weren't eligible for uh, for it before. But I think that whole process uh, is something that a lot of individuals don't understand. And that's an area where um, it would be very helpful for um, college-aged documented dreamers um, to get help in. Right. And I think you sort of point to a larger issue on campuses that, you know, the whole demographic of higher education or students, uh, college students in the U.S. is changing. And so many students are of uh, immigrant origin backgrounds. And that's a very large sort of umbrella or label that sort of conceals all of these different subgroups, sometimes with overlapping needs, but sometimes with very distinct needs and um, and situations. And then there's, of course, and, you know, there's, of course, the International Student Services Office, where, where a lot of this sort of gets uh, centered, yet their focus is really on serving students who are on an F1 visa and not really students who, um, who you know, have, have, other, have a different uh, immigration background. So I think it points to a to a larger issue. So, um, Deep, as we approach the end of our conversation, what's next for Improve the Dream? What's next for you? What do you want people to know about your organization? How can they support you all? And of course, we'll include um, links and everything in the show notes. But over to you uh, for what's next. So currently, our main focus is to hope and fight for this uh, provision that still has a chance to pass by the end of this year in the Senate, um, the age out protections uh, for children of long-term visa holders, you know, which would help over 200,000 individuals that don't know if they'll be able to stay after they turn 21 or don't know how their future will be affected by this. And it would be one of the most significant changes but it's a very simple change. There's no new green card pathway, which is which would have been nice, but like this will at least allow individuals to stay. 
Uh, and that's that's really our main focus to raise awareness for this, to share more stories in our local communities in the national level to show why this change needs to happen this year. Um, along the way, we're also hoping that until this change, this permanent change, hopefully this year, but until this can happen, um, we want to be able to show the thousands, hundreds of thousands of documented dreamers and uh, immigrant children who grow up in the country that we do have this large community and we want to support each other, navigate the system, uh, and, but then also, you know, help each other with resources, help each other tell our stories and advocate. So if you're someone who who is in this situation or if you know someone who is in this situation, I would uh, recommend, um, you know, sharing uh, Improve the Dreams survey link. We have a, a a Slack group of um, many documented dreamers. Uh, so, you know, we would love to have more individuals join and um, get the support that they need. So what all the listeners right now can do is go to improvethedream.org. We have a uh, automated letter on there that once you fill out will be transmitted to your senators. And then there's also call templates and other resources that show how you can take action to help the situation. And then also for educational institutions, we're working on building uh, a few resources specific for educational institutions on how they can support individuals in this situation. But I think the first step in that will, would be to recognize that this is an issue that not only needs fixing, but needs current support in the universities and campuses that you're at. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Sadeep, if you are willing to share with us, what what are you doing now? So what is your status now and um, what are you doing right now? So I'm currently a uh, pharmacist for a health system in Illinois, and I've been here for a couple of years now. Um, so after graduating from pharmacy school, my journey was switching over to a uh, OPT, F1 OPT, which is optional practical training, which is given to international students. Um, mm -hmm. You know, of course, I was I was considered an international student despite having been here uh, for a couple of decades. But that status expired a year after I graduated. And the employer that I was working for, unfortunately, wasn't able to figure out a way for me to stay. So even that was an obstacle. And I actually had to end up getting ready to self-deport. But thankfully, there was a rural health system, which I work at now, that was able to figure out a way. And I was able to stay here on the TN status, which allows me uh, to temporarily work here. So I'm on that status now, uh, at least until next year. And then hopefully, we'll be able to renew it again. Uh, but the hope is until then, we can get a permanent solution as well. Thank you for that, Deep. And I, I do think that I think one of the one of the themes that's emerged through our conversation is that there's a real lack of awareness on campuses across in in the community across the U.S. about this population of young people who, like you rightly said, through our conversation, you know, people assume 
that uh, that documented dreamers are, uh, you know, entitled to all the rights and privileges as other U.S. citizens. But uh, in fact, it's exactly the opposite. So thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing um, this very complex narrative of what it means to be a documented dreamer and helping our uh, listeners understand uh, understand the situation of young documented dreamers. So thank you very much again. Thank you so much for having me on. Some weeks after Deep and I recorded this conversation in late 2022, I got to meet a student at a large US university. I'll call her Sanya, who shared with me that she was a documented dreamer. We were at a university event which her parents were also attending as they lived close by. It was just heartbreaking for me to hear firsthand about the experiences of seeing Sanya struggle with the sorts of challenges that Deep also describes in this episode. Not being able to obtain the driver's license, not being able to do so many things that American college students take for granted. Sanya's mother's eyes filled with tears and she told me that there was a time when things got so bad that Sanya asked her, Why did you even bring me to this country? Since my conversations with Deep and Sanya, I've been thinking a lot about these issues. And I hope we can all follow through on Deep's calls to action on how to support all dreamers, documented and undocumented alike. Thanks as always for listening. Please be sure to like us, follow us and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rajika Bhandari, and I'll be back soon with another episode on how education connects our hearts and minds to the world.